Welcome to the No Fluff Network Marketing Leadership Training Podcast for serious-minded, deep-thinking, career-oriented network marketing pros who are sick of the fluff and appreciate the truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now here's your host who has produced over 200 hours of real-world training for the industry, 30-plus years network marketing pro, Dale Calvert. One of the first national directors to build this business long distance out of Kentucky, away from the Louisville meeting, the one of the first satellite meetings, is our next speaker. So he built it by the book. He's 1995 Leadership Award winner. He's consistently a top money earner. He's somebody that you can definitely look to for leadership training in this business. And every time that I've ever approached him personally, He's always taken a second to stop and talk to me and made me feel important. And isn't that a key thing to have in this business? You're going to love this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, from Aiken, South Carolina, Sean Whelan. Make him feel up. I sat back there praying just a few minutes ago. I said, Lord, give me the voice to do this thing. And don't let laser tag be the death of me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The national directors got together last night. We went down to Laser Quest and all played, had a blast. Just another thing the company does for us to unify and help us work together and get to know each other. You haven't had a blast until you chase Rosanna Copeland through laser tag trying to shoot her, I'm telling you. It was awesome. I had a tremendous time last night. I'll look. Well, anyway, let's keep moving. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. I had a tremendous childhood. I really did. I mean, I was born and raised in a little town called Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania, just outside of State College, Pennsylvania. And my, my dad ran an auto body shop. Yeah. And he, and he was a private business owner, and he did real well. He raised five kids. And we had a tremendous time. And we had summer cookouts and swimming summers and, and just uh, skiing and tobogganing winters and just learning snow ski. You just had a tremendous time growing up in Pennsylvania. At the age of 11, we moved to South Carolina. My dad was pursuing one of his goals, one of his dreams, and that was to own a golf course. And my, my uncle, my father, my, I'm sorry, my mother's brother was a PGA pro at one time and was real good at golf. And they kind of went together and, and was pursuing their dreams and bought a golf course in South Carolina, a little nine-hole course, a little town called New Ellington, South Carolina. And uh, so we, here we go, like the Beverly Hillbillies to South Carolina. And that's how I felt, too. I really did. It's up and here we go, you know. And uh, he had saved a lot of money, not a lot, but a fair amount of money over time working for himself in the auto body business. And uh, basically what he did is he bought a golf course that needed a lot of help, a lot of help. And he had the vision, and my dad, you got to know him, he doesn't do anything halfway. So <clears throat> over about a two-and-a-half, three-year period, he sinks a lot of money into this golf course. And he, he turned that golf course into a tremendous place. He, when he bought it, it had 60 members. When he, when, when a couple of years later, when he lost it, I'm going to explain that in just a minute, he had 260 members. I think he got voted the best greens in South Carolina one year. And, I mean, he really turned the sand patch sand spurs and, and diseased grasses into a tremendous country club. But it took a lot of money to do that. The reason it all came apart on him 
is because some people came in and built these exe- really nice, exclusive golf course communities and several 18-hour golf courses within probably 10 miles of him. So the 260 members went where? Right? So the little nine-hole course in New Elton Common came apart. The reason I gave you that is because that's where I started to learn a lot of lessons. I didn't have it made anymore. There was no extra money for anything, let alone toys under our pillows. You know, my mom and dad used to go out when we were growing up in Pennsylvania, and they'd come home, and, and us kids would have a little toy under our pillow or something. It was just tremendous Christmases. It was quite, you know, like I said, tremendous na- uh, childhood. But in 1972-ish, through 1973, that all changed. And my dad had to go back to work, working with his hands. And that's an interesting thing, too. I mean, I admire him for what he's always done. He's always been a survival survivor, and he's always done what he's had to do to provide for his family. But I can't, excuse me, I can't understand why people go back, right? I, I get laid off. I'll go back to being a welder. I'll go back to, be, you, you understand what I'm saying? I, we'll get into that later. I'm going to revisit this. But I just, he, he went back, started working with his hands, and by me observing this happening, it taught me some real valuable lessons. But either way, during my childhood in South Carolina, I wasn't into the golf routine too much. I didn't like playing golf very much, and I didn't like mowing the grass like I did and, and working on the golf course. I was into more of the, uh, I, don't, I call it mechanical things. Motorcycles, go-karts, bicycles, I mean, just that kind of stuff, right? Kid stuff. And I was really into it. And that's what I aspired to have and do and become. And I wanted to race motorcycles and all kind of things. And I think that's pretty uncommon for people my age in that time frame. But uh, that's what I was into. And I uh, just started tinkering, cutting bicycles apart and redesigning them and making them and just doing all kind of different things. And uh, I guess because of that, you know, I, I'll never forget the time that I, I fell in love with this particular bike, and I had to have it. It was just a little SL125 Honda. Now, at this time, I'm 14, 15 years old. Because of my love for mechanical things, my dad got me enrolled in a tech school early. I mean, you had to be at least 18 to start, and I started at 15. And because uh, that's where he was going to rehone his skills to be a welder so he could go provide for the family. And he got me in early, and I started working there and getting pretty good at what I was doing. And I drew, I, I had to have this bike sitting here. This is an actual picture that I drew when I was about 15 years old of it. We talk about getting your picture and get your mind right and learning and, and, and getting an image of what you want because your mind works in images and you, you don't get out of life what you want, you get out of life what you expect, right? And I started expecting this thing. I had to have it. I had to have it. <clears throat> And like I said earlier, there was no extra money for that. My dad would have been glad to supply it for me, as he would have any of us, but there was just no extra money for it. So I learned to work, by goodness. I had to go to work. So I started cutting grass and doing whatever I could figure out to do to make some extra money. And I can understand, I still today understand the sheer exhilaration that comes from finding a pop bottle in a ditch that's worth a nickel, because that's one more nickel toward my motorcycle. Y'all, you relate to that? I, I mean, I'm really. It was awesome. <clears throat> but through, you know, a couple summers and, and maybe a couple of years, I should say, of just that kind of persistence and that kind of work, this thing became a reality. Same bike, same color, same everything. It was kind of amazing <clears throat> to me. I found it for sale. 
It was used. A friend of mine's dad had it, or whatever. The dad was my friend, and his son had it. And uh, I wound up getting that. Did I do that? I may have done that. Either way. Whoa, ho! Debbie, did I do that? Hun, back up some for me. There we go. This thing right here became a reality for me because I seen it, and I, w I was not going to be done. I had to have it. And that, that kind of is exactly how this business is to me today. I mean, it's not much different than that. Decide what you want, get a picture of it, and it'll become your reality, I can guarantee it. Once you convince your subconscious mind that you have it, your body's going to do what it takes to make it happen. And that's kind of what happened with me in this particular scenario. So I wanted to share that with you. Uh, okay, let's move forward here, Debbie. This is the, see, I started in 75, 76 quarter at Aiken Tech. And I just want to point out to you that I actually graduated from high school in 1978, and I graduated with an associate degree in welding and tech, uh, what do they call this, uh, metallurgy or something. I can't even pronounce it any longer. Don't really care to. But the bottom line is, it, it, on my resume, that didn't make sense. How can you graduate from high school and technical school at the same time with an associate degree? And I had to explain that every time I went to get a job someplace. But it, it, again, it was just, uh, and I was told story after story that if you go to, you go to work, get a good job, you'll have everything that you want forever. Guys used to tell me, my welding instructors used to say, listen, welders will always be in demand, and I believe that they probably will. But he said, you, you know, they, here's what welding pays, and he'd give me dollars and cents, and he created this picture for me of what I could have. He said, you can have anything you want if you'll just go out here and be a good welder. So that's what I did. I mean, I, had, I believed this story. A along that time frame, 16, 17 years old, I met Dee, a tremendous person. I had just a girlfriend at the time, right? Uh, and now we're married today, quite honestly. It, it, we, we grew up together, basically. It's kind of interesting how all that happened. And uh, I met her at Hardy's. If you can see, this is an actual Hardy's bag that she wrote on. I don't know if you can see it in the upper right-hand corner. It says SW, little heart, DH, like a stamp. And I would hope I can read this to you. It says, Mr. Sean Whelan. Can't see it on the screen. Let's say this is kind of D. I'm sorry, huh? <laughs> I th this is special stuff. We did meet at Hardy's. She was working at Hardy's. And uh, 14 Lovers Lane, Foreverville, 10, 14, 90, I think it's 90. But that's when we met. We, we kind of started going together, if you would, on October 14th of that year. So this is, that's what the zip code represents. It's just lovers, puppy love stuff, you know? And it was kind of cute, and I thought I'd share that with you. But we did. We grew up together. We've been all around the place, so many different places. I went to work, listening to these people, and uh, I actually went to work at Savannah Riverside just a couple of months after graduating from high school as a mechanic, as a welder, a sheet metal mechanic welder. And uh, I went to the welding shop quicker than anybody in the history that ever hired in there, and the people couldn't believe it. And they were talking about, who's this young kid? Who's this new guy that's coming here and going to work? And I walked through the shop, and everybody was looking at And it was kind of like this jealousy thing going on. And that was my first experience at the rivalries, the political office politics that happens on a job. 
I, I didn't even, I couldn't even relate to it. I'm thinking, what is it? What are they mad at me for? I didn't do anything. And I didn't, and now I realize I was threatening their jobs. I was getting ready to take someone's position. It was interesting. But everything I've ever been involved in, I seem like I'm somehow involved eventually in being an instructor in that field. While I was at Aiken Tech, 16 years old, 17 years old, some of the instructors would, would be out one night and they'd say, Sean, can you, can you substitute for me tonight? I'll be glad to pay you my salary for tonight. I said, yeah, that sounds cool. Never got paid well yet. That sounds good to me. So we started doing that. When I went to work at Savannah River, I, I was, we were actually belonged to a union, a local out of 399 out of Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, eventually became not only their welding instructor, but their, their apprentice coordinator for the entire state. We took people for the first time in the history of that union through the competitions, because they had national competitions, and we actually won on a national scale. It's never been done before. So I'm just real kind of proud of some of these accomplishments. I just want to share this stuff with you. Some of the, <clears throat> yeah. Big money job. The things that they talked about were coming true, or at least I were taking advantage of them like that. I was making $10.04 an hour in 1978. Everybody I went to high school with was making 4 or $5, $6 an hour. And I'm living at home with mom and dad, Dayton D. You know, I had plenty of money, man. I thought this is pretty cool. Matter of fact, you talk about being able to dream and have anything that you want. I had no bills, making a whole lot more money than even most people, adults around me. And, you know, I started buying things. Now, this gets interesting at this point. Bought a Jeep truck out of 1978 Ford Pinto originally. <laughs> no air conditioning in South Carolina. And Dee still dated me. That's when I knew she loved me, guys. I'm serious. Bought a Jeep pickup truck. I always wanted one of those. Was, to me, it was the most awesome four-wheel drive that's ever been made and all this stuff, and I had to have one. Uh, so I bought one. Uh, bought a bass boat. This is my first one. I still have one today. It's not like that. And bought that Harley-Davidson. That's an experience. I went out and bought that thing, and I walked into the dealership. <clears throat> and they had, <clears throat> excuse me. They had a... Uh, a winter outfit that you wear when you ride, and it matched that. That bike was in the showroom at the time on the window. And I said, I'm going to buy this this week. And I told the manager, Thad, his name was Thad, I said, Thad, I'm coming back and buy that motorcycle next week. Now, I'm 18. You think I look young now. When I was 18, I looked like I just got out of diapers. And this guy is thinking, yeah, you're going to come back and buy a $5,300 motorcycle. I, I, you know, I've heard that before. I can, I can see it in his face. So I walk in the next week, it wasn't there. Matter of fact, there was no motorcycles there. That's back when the Harley-Davidson dealerships were showrooms. Not like it is today, but either way. And I said, Dad, where, where'd all the bikes go? Where's my motorcycle? He said, they're down at the Regency Mall. We're having a bike display down there this weekend. I said, oh my God, my heart just stopped because it's been sold. You know, I'm just thinking it's been sold. So I raced down there, and, and it was still there. Striked up, struck, struck a deal. <laughs> uh, struck a deal with the person who was, who was the manager, uh, actually the daughter of the owner. And she said I could have it $5,375. So I paid $5,300 for that thing in 1980. I still have it. And, uh, you know, some of you know how much they cost today, huh? Good investment. I should have bought four or five of them. But, uh, 
Either way, it was, a, it was a very interesting scenario. I'm sitting on the bike in the mall, the sold tags hanging on it, and, and people are starting to come by and said, you know, did your daddy buy it for you? You know, and I'm thinking, I'm like Dale. I earned it. It was mine, and I earned it. And uh, it was just kind of interesting at that point. <clears throat> Did I get married in December? I wanted to get married in October, but we got married in December. And uh, it was absolutely a tremendous time. Big wedding, you know, the big church wedding and all of that. That was D's. <laughs> I was just ready to get married and get on with it, you know. Actually, we were married a long time before that. <laughs> Did I say that wrong? We, <laughs> we were actually married a long time before that. This is just the announcement, you know? We bought some land together, actually, before we got married. And I moved this house trailer out there. She was still living at home. We weren't married yet. So I lived out there for a while before she joined me. And uh, you can see in the foreground, I hope, there's a big building. Uh, we lived in that house trailer for a few years, but along the way we built this big facility. Because I always knew in my mind, you talk about pictures, and I always knew that one day I would be working at home, or in that facility at least. I didn't want to always report to someone else. It's kind of interesting how that, and I didn't really realize that at the time. I just, I just kind of, something made me do it. Something, you know, I want to have this place. I want it. I need it. And uh, so we built this big old place before we built our house. You can see the foundation of the house going in, and the Aiken Success Center is in the background. That's now called the Aiken Success Center. That was an interesting scenario. Tracy's born. My little girl, she's sitting right down here. She's been to every conference since she's been born. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, you all stand up real quick, would you? Yeah. When she was born, I realized that <clears throat> that I had to be responsible. Yeah, that's right. Keyword responsible. <clears throat> Couldn't ride the bass boat 100 miles an hour anymore, you know? Had to be careful on the motorcycle. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, she made a major difference in our lives, no doubt about that. In fact, the difference. In the job, things are going well. I'm continuing my education, receiving all kinds of certificates and awards and moving right through all this. And uh, just, it, you know, I guess what I'm trying to communicate to you, on my job, I was a performer. I wasn't just another employee, I guess, and I really believe that, and, and the proof's in the pudding. They don't look for management in the crafts. And, and before I left there, 16 and a half years later, I was actually in middle management, moved all the way out of the sheet metal union, out of the crafts, and I was actually working for management. And uh, just so many things that I was looking at at the time. This, these articles just gave me such a paradigm shift about the job and the industry and what was going on. You know, I don't know if you can read this. Clearly, family and careers, we once knew them. One wage earner, one job for life and pension happily ever after has gone away with the rotary telephone. And I'm thinking, hey, I got a job. What are they talking about? It, it just struck me. It just got me. I couldn't, I had to start looking at things. Simply put, it, it now can take 
four or more jobs to provide the same level of comfort and financial security that just one job provided just a couple of decades ago. And I'm thinking, well, if both spouses are working two jobs to equal four jobs or four incomes, what's happening to the children? i got a brand new child in my life, and I don't want daycares to raise her, you know, or strangers to raise her. I want to be part of that. And it's very important to me. The Fortune magazine article, I'll never forget this, the model world is on a verge of another huge leap in creativity and productivity, but the job is not going to be part of tomorrow's economic reality. And, and I was looking at this stuff thinking, well, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm a performer. I'm doing good on my job. They're not going to let me go. You know, they need me. <laughs> Naivety that comes with youth, I guess. I don't know, but they don't need you guys. Okay. Oh. Small, this, this is thumbing their noses at corporate America was the title of this article. Thumbing their noses at corporate America. Small and entrepreneurial, rural, whatever that word is, will be, will be more successful than big and bureaucratic. Well, I can relate to big and bureaucratic because that's where I've been living for 16 years. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was just unbelievable. Okay. This is personal and confidential, so I want to make sure I share it with you. <laughs> Serious. How many of you have ever had a salary freeze? I'm not going to, I don't need to, you know. I had one in February of 93. They said, listen, we're not going to lay anybody off yet, but we can't, we can't give you the cost of living raise. So basically what that means is you get to continue to work and perform at standards that we expect you to, and you act, because of cost of living is going up, you're actually going to make less money. I didn't like that. Would you like that? I didn't like that. So they gave me two years later a, ra a raise, I guess, an increase. Let's call it an increase of 3.6%. That's what. That's exactly two years later. And I was told at the time that the uh, rate of inflation was more than that, so I was still backing up. Kind of interesting. Now, here's where life gets different. Again, all this stuff is coming together in my head. I'm thinking, there's got to be something to do here. I actually opened a sheet metal fabrication facility in that building that I showed you called CSRA, the Central Savannah River area, sheet metal shop, custom sheet metal shop. We only built custom projects, but I realized very quickly, man, how am I going to see my daughter doing this? You know, I'm working full-time on one job and working full-time on another job. I don't know anybody. I didn't even know D anymore. It's like I was out there all the time. <clears throat> so that wasn't it. That wasn't going to work. So I said, what's network marketing all about? I've been hearing a little bit about it. I'm going to check into this. And uh, got involved in NSA, National Safety Associates. And went to an NSA training and met Dr. Ken Johnson over here. I don't know if you can see him in the picture too well. You always must attend. You've got to be at the events, guys. You don't know where it's going to lead you. If I had not gone to that training that we had, it's nothing like our trainings, but it was a training, okay? If I had not gone to that training, I would have missed meeting Ken Johnson, and I would not be here today, I promise you. Isn't that interesting? That's just powerful. Man, that's powerful. But I met, <clears throat> I met Dr. Johnson right there, and the reason I say that is because he sent everybody in that picture the secret to network marketing success to set, and I bought it. It, sounded, it made sense <clears throat> to me. So I called Dale. I said, Dale, what's this? I mean, what do you got? What do you got up your sleeve? What are you planning? And he started laying out some dreams and plans for me. I said, man, that sounds pretty good. You've got all these systems and programs already figured out, right? Because I'm not too good at this. 
They said, we got it. We got it. Man, I got 15 years experience or at that time, 12 years experience. And I've been through it. And you don't have to do anything except what I tell you to do. I said, man, let's do it. Let's try this. That Monday would have been an NSA training or meeting. I call up everybody who's supposed to attend. I said, you can kill, you can still come out if you want to, but it's not going to be NSA. It's going to be something else I'm looking at. Everybody came out. March, excuse me, March 5th, 1994, which was one month later. Dale, Dr. Dan Moore, his brother Daryl, which is the, you know, his other brother Daryl. No, I'm just kidding. There's only one brother, but he's a pilot and they had their own plane. Dale, D Big Dog, I, I can't, I don't want to name names because I might miss a few. But basically my entire upline, Stephen Kim, they all showed up at the Aiken Success Center for this meeting in South Carolina. Had 50 people there, guys. I was an area director that day. That's cool. I said, this is easy. This is easier than taking candy from a baby. Let's do this. I'm ready. I'm excited. I said, Dale, wait, can you come back? He said, I, I, I need you back next month. He said, no, we'll do it in May. So he came back in May. We had another 50 people there, and things were rolling. That's when Barry Hamby showed up. He showed up at that meeting. He, seen, he met some people and got the facts about what we're doing, and he's a national director today. Talk about that later. There's the first meeting. Whoops, that's cool. I was, a, as I told you, I was a performer. And those other awards that I showed you earlier, a lot of people got those. A lot of people got construction champion awards and MVPs, and I don't remember the long list of things that I got. I mean, it's all kind of different types of awards. Kiss, what we call Kiss programs, which is, I love. I got to visit that minute. Kiss was Q I S S, Quality Improvement Suggestion System. And if you sat down and came up with a new process or a new idea that would allow things to be streamlined and make the company, the company, more money, they would give you a certificate. <laughs> and, get this, $35 on your next check. I don't know how many thousands of dollars that my, my suggestions saved them, but uh, I, I, at least 10 or 12 of those. But anyway, I started to tell you. January 3rd, 95. Remember that date. When did I get a raise? February. Month after this. January of 95, guys. I get a vice president's award for the company. Now that was, that was a real thing. We, we did a lot with waste, waste management, streamlining the whole process. Many, many, many hours after the hours of which I was getting paid. Both at home and on the job. And I got the certificate, some pictures made. It was, uh, I thought it was a great time. It was important, I guess. And then, January, I mean, June of 95, I go in, the department that I work for has disappeared. It doesn't exist anymore. It's called re-engineering. Familiar term with some of you, I'm sure. But in June 30th of 95, I walk in there and they say, basically, you've been laid off. You've been affected by the workforce restructuring plan. Isn't that fancy wording? Because basically, we've taken your career, 16 and a half years, you don't need to report to work here anymore. i got to keep moving here. I'll, can you all see that? This says, parental job loss and its impact on kids. Employee assistance program. And these people had the goal not only to take my career, which is okay, I can get over that. But now they start telling me, you need to be depressed about it. 
And because you're depressed about it, you might need some counseling. We're going to provide that for you. And your children might even be depressed about it. You might want to bring them too. And I'm thinking, what is that all about? Depressed? Depressed? I went out and had a steak dinner and got in the jacuzzi the next morning that I'd never even visited since I built the house. Gosh. I wasn't depressed. I said, cha-ching, man. Just between me and you, the only reason I stayed around is for the severance pay. Okay. Then I get laid off. and I said, well, what's this unemployment all about? I've never heard of that before. Let me go see what it's all about. So I go to the unemployment office and I say, look, how do you do this? I don't know what, what's unemployment. And they start describing to me how I'm going to have to report there at least twice a week and show them where I've tried to apply for jobs and all this, and they want to govern my life, and it's worse than the job that I just left, just trying to do, jump through the hoops so that I could draw my unemployment. I said, man, I'm not, not into this. I did, I'm not a prisoner. I'm an, I'll be an employer. I walked right out of that office, the South Carolina unemployment office, right around the corner, and I said, listen, I need some help. I'm building a networking business, and you, I'm listing myself officially right now as an employer in the South Carolina Employment Office. Send me some leads, will you? I don't need this stuff. I'm not going to draw unemployment. With, absolutely. I couldn't stand that, man. It driving me crazy. They try, all these external people and forces and everybody around you saying, hey, you've been laid off. You should be depressed and distraught about all of this. And if I had to listen to the external Keyword, external forces. I, I, I don't know where I'd be. Probably in an asylum someplace, I guess. But I said, man, listen to, your, listen to you. Okay, we'll go there. Uh, since that time, that previous slide talked about, I went to the same employer that laid me off and bought, well, they, they were free, I didn't have to buy it, but they had a job fair coming up. And I got a booth, and I represented New Image International in that job fair, hiring their distraught employees. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Since that time, life has been an interesting scenario, no doubt about it. Man, I'm there for all the events, the ballets, the, the rehearsals, the recitals. I've watched Tracy grow up. I've been there. I mean, I'm, I take her to school every day. This is kind of neat. I take her to school every day, drop her off. She walks into classes. I stand in line with them for quite a while doing the hand job stuff and all this with these little kids. It's great. And then uh, <clears throat> I can go out and get my suburban dial-up image net on a cellular phone, and I'm kind of not paying too much attention as I drive out in the traffic, the flow of traffic of parents trying to get to the job. Uh, I don't even know what year it was. It's been a couple years ago. But I've been able to meet and talk with these people, all of the people who I've been listening to for a long, long time. And it's really an honor to sit down, not just to shake their hand, but to sit down and talk with them for a little while. I talked to Jim Rohn for almost 20 minutes in Chicago in that, when that picture was made. And at that time, just to share this with you, Ogmedino had just died. He was, real, he was kind of depressed about that, one of his buddies. And that's basically all he could talk about. But it's a very interesting conversation, and I got a lot of good stuff out of that. Again, how would you like to meet those people, folks? You will if you stay in this business, I promise you. Just make it your goal to do that, and you'll do that. Oh, this is just a few snapshots we can fit on the slide. This thing could be pages and pages and pages. But these are just a few of the tremendous people who I've been to bump into. Tom and Carolyn Smith responded to one of my original warm letters out of the manual. They're now, both of them are now regional directors with our company. Tremendous people. 
I, I don't need to get into this slide. Wow, it's just, there's just so many names that I can talk about. I can probably spend 20 minutes on that slide, but I'm just going to say this. Had it not been for this opportunity, none of those people would I know today, let alone be true friends with them. And you can't take that for granted, guys. And these people here, I mean, a lot of these are sideline and upline in these pictures, and, and we've become friends. I mean, like I said, laser tag was a blast last night, man. And it was because I was with my friends. It wasn't like playing laser tag when you go out there, just you or your wife or your kid with a bunch of strangers. I enjoyed shooting these people. You know, it had special meaning when I got Rhonda. Pow! Or, or Carol, man. I had fun last night, guys. That's why my voice is so raspy this morning. I was hollering so much about lost it last night. The places we've been have been phenomenal. Prior to New Image International, Dee did this. She wrote this down for me on the way up here. And uh, I didn't bring the list because it's just so much. But prior to New Image International, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on our honeymoon. Okay? It's not good or bad. That's just where we went. That's where we could afford to go. And that's what we did. And I had the flu the whole time, so I still owed Dee a honeymoon. She reminds me of that pretty regularly. But... uh, I'm trying to remember where else we may have went. Uh, I think I flew to Philadelphia one time for my brother's wedding. Uh, oh, no, we drove up there. We drove up there for that. I, I guess my point is that if I'd really sat down and thought real hard of the places that I'd been, especially the exotic places that I've been, while I had my job for 16 and a half years, that could definitely represent only one hand. But since then, I've been... oh. Cancun, Mexico, the Cayman Islands, Cozumel, Jamaica. How many of you ever like to play golf with Jamaica in Jamaica with the president of our company? Would that be good? I did that. That was awesome. It was an awesome day. Not just him, but Phil Schuff and Roy Ely, and we just had a tremendous time. And, and I can't begin to tell you the vacations and the things we've been doing and where we're going. The Greenbrier, I've got a, a, a tremendous individual in our organization, John Ross, he's a golf professional. Some of you know John. He's made it, he's arranged for us to play at the Greenbrier Hotel. Y'all know about the Greenbrier Golf Resort Hotel? I heard that it was one of the third most expensive resorts in the world. I didn't know that until I went there and bought some ice cream. Seven dollars for a scoop of ice cream? I said, I don't care how much money I make, that's a lot of money for a scoop of ice cream. But that, it's the Sam Sneed aura, era all around you. And he's still there today. I think he's about 85, 86 years old. This past visit, we're on the tee box. He's standing right in front of Ron on the tee box practicing. Picks up his clubs, and he walks over to Ron and says, show me what you got, man. And this is Sam Sneed, guys. It might not mean anything to you, but he's a golf legend. He's one of the people who pioneered that sport. And he started giving lessons to the president of our company right there on the tee box. Awesome moment. That was, it was for me. And then he turned around and said, that'd be $500. I love this. Go say him. He's still got a sense of humor. But I'm telling you, we won the Sam Steed Festival last year. Can you see the center up there? The center picture. We won the best dress this year. I thought it was great. It was fabulous. And I could go on forever about the places we've been and, and what we've seen and, and where we've been able to go. Not to mention the meetings in the Baton Rouge and Kentucky. I mean, I've been to most, you know, Lexington, Louisville, and 
Oh, man, Huntsville, Alabama, and Jacksonville, Florida. and I mean, the list just goes on, guys. I've been able to see this country in style, not just trying to go there because the job says get there and get back. I flew down here on an airplane with a guy who's, well, actually, just, I, flew, I was in Toronto last week all week. I was flying to Toronto, is what it was. And I sit, yeah, absolutely. Man, don't miss that either. That's going to be awesome up there. But anyway, I, I was sitting there in Toronto with these people. Uh, I'm flying on a plane to Toronto to meet with those people. And this guy's sitting there saying, some of the nice restaurants to visit. And then I said, you enjoy traveling? He says, I do, but not for business because I'm just in and out. And I said, well, I'm staying in a condo for a week that the company paid for, and I'll come and go as I please and do what I want and meet some tremendous people and build the most fascinating business ever existed, and he won't even look at the brochure. What can I tell you? You can't argue with ignorance, people. Don't even try to. Just let it rock and roll. You, you can't deal with it. I guess what I need to conclude with is... <clears throat> I'm going to try this. I hope my voice lasts. Dr. Whitley wrote a poem one time. He said, O Lord and God of all, must my business rise and fall like the Roman legions must ash to ash and dust to dust. <clears throat> Is there something more to life than to build it with my wife and give my children more than their parents had before? See, I've gone to work and earned the bread. I've gone to work and earned the bread, watch TV, and gone to bed. <clears throat> Sunrise and sunset from year to year. Before I know it, <clears throat> excuse me, winter is here. Losing's a habit, so is winning. I'm going to start by beginning to give each day as if it's my last. Not in the future, not in the past. Lord, I know I can, and I think I can. Be my greatest coaching fan. Lord, I know I can, and I think I can. Become an most uncommon man. Y'all need to be uncommon. Common people make common incomes. Uncommon people make uncommon incomes. Y'all keep up the image. I appreciate it. We'll see you later. Who do you have on your team right now that could benefit from hearing Sean's story? Or who do you have in your funnel right now that's taking a look at your business? It would be very wise to share this session with them. Uh, I hope you enjoyed Sean's story. Uh, again, I appreciate and happy to have the opportunity to share it with you. This is Dale Calvert. We'll talk to you next week on another session of MLMSuccess.com, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the No Fluff MLM Leadership Training Podcast. To download the show notes for this episode, you can find them under the podcast section at www.mlmhelp.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, the teaching is in the words, but the learning is in the silence.